0: You are listening to Bear in Mind, the University of Northern Colorado's official podcast. Join us each episode as we listen to the voices from UNC faculty, staff, students, and alumni, as they offer insights of local or national importance. This is your host, Dan and Cox, bringing you just a taste of UNC. So prior to becoming an assistant professor here. I was a middle school social studies teacher for nine years. And um, while I was a teacher, I got very involved in different type of curriculum that I could bring to students that were engaging, especially topics that can be quite dry, like civics and history education. Uh, Even though I, as a teacher, was um, quite passionate about it. So one of the curriculum items that I ran into was something called iCivics which was actually called Our Courts for a few months. I was a really early adopter. And uh, iCivics is a uh, platform that was founded by retired Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. And she saw and observed that children were not learning civics anymore because, uh, or not as much anymore, due to um, standardized testing, which focused on you know, reading and math and those types of skills, writing. So, she, uh, she got in touch with uh, different academics and put together this website, iCivics, uh, which has been around since 2009, and it's a completely game-based learning platform. There's other curriculum that go with it, but they were really good games. And I'd have my students play those games, and I would see that not only were they engaged, but the next day, they would come to class and tell me that they played it again. And I have yet to come across like a worksheet where a student would go home and say, wow, that was so much fun in class, I did the worksheet twice for you. So from then I was hooked into iCivics. And I am still in the iCivics Educator Network. And just uh, a few weeks ago, I was on a panel with iCivics at South by Southwest EDU. And we were discussing the importance of civics education and how their games are just wonderful at giving students choice and voice and um, making them more engaged in civics education. Game-based learning um, is learning from games in its simplest sense. It's not new. Uh, You know, we've had cultures learn from games. For example, uh, King Tut was buried with several sets of a game called Senet, S-E-N-E-T, which you could still purchase at toy stores and it's called, It's about passing into the afterlife. So the game itself has this message as you play. Uh, snakes and Ladders teaches concepts from Jainism. It comes from um, India in the 1800s, and uh, in the original Snakes and Ladders, which in America we call Shoots and Ladders, there were more snakes than ladders because the game is messaging that it's harder to do good than to do evil. And in fact, the expression Back to Square One, comes from snakes and ladders. So game-based learning's been around as long as storytelling, uh, but it seems kind of new and novel, probably because of video games. But in many senses, uh, many cases, game-based learning can be non-digital, really good board games that are used. A really good game and game-based learning, what you're doing, the action in the game is what you're learning. But to me, I've my view of game-based learning from observing teachers use games in the classroom, is that they use games like film or novels. So students will play the game and then they will reflect on it, write about it, and um, look at the characters in the game, uh, make their own versions of the game. So it's, it's used in many ways, the same way you would take a book like, I don't know, To Kill a Mockingbird, and then build curriculum all around it. Because in good educational technology, the technology doesn't teach the student. You know, there's no, to me, there's no real such thing as adaptive, personalized, you know, all these buzzwords about what technology can do. The teacher does that, right? The teacher should always be asking the questions and the students should always be making and creating things. So I I would apply the same principles to digital games and to paper-based games, non-digital games. Even simple ones. Today in class, we played a, a party game called Headbands. It's like a reverse charades where you have to guess the card in your head. But then guessing and using that process of elimination and metacognition, that's really higher order thinking. And then students then take index cards and markers and make their own deck of cards based on content. So to me, that's game-based learning. That process of playing as experiential learning, reflecting and debriefing, and then having an opportunity to create and make your own games. My current book, Game-Based Learning in Action, How an Expert Affinity Group Teaches with Games, uh, stems from my dissertation research, where I looked at the intersection of really good teachers and really good games and what that looks like. And uh, the book has a foreword by James Paul G., who's a very well-known academic. He came up with the term affinity spaces. And affinity spaces are places, basically, where people meet online or for in real life, you know, IRL, Uh, and uh, they have uh, commonalities. And it could be, it could be games. It could be painting. It could be raising chickens, as he says. You know, it could be anything, right? And you you congregate over those ideas, your passions and interests. So I wanted to see what teachers who have that same interest, Uh, You know, and we see this a lot. We see teachers who are really into the Renaissance and Shakespeare, they might go to Renaissance festivals, right, and try to bring those passions into the classroom. And same here with video games. But interestingly, that is a bit of an obstacle because if you're not into games, you may not be bringing that into your classroom. So uh, collectively, this this affinity group of expert game-based learning teachers, they are trying to lower those barriers. There's a curriculum called uh, Wow in Schools, okay, and uh, it started as an after-school program by um, Lucas Gillespie. He created this uh, curriculum for English language arts that uses World of Warcraft. And you go through all the missions and quests in there. It teaches digital citizenship really well, because, uh, and there is about a decade's worth of research on World of Warcraft. In fact, Constance Steinkuler who is a, a professor and a colleague of mine, and she's now at UC Irvine, she did a study about boys playing World of Warcraft and reading. And it turns out that boys who play World of Warcraft were reading, struggling readers. They were reading about nine grade levels above what grade level they were in on World of Warcraft wikis because they were interested in it. They would do what they had to do to struggle through the text and this kind of flies in the face of using lexile ranges uh, to limit where students are reading at because they may get frustrated if the lexile range is too high but you know there is there is contrary research to that because if you're interested in something you will then want to follow that passion and this is a larger framework of of connected learning principles where you are passionate and interest driven to get through it For a local example, my son is really into geography and he can pronounce words like Azerbaijan, okay? Or lots of children can pronounce words like, you know, Diplodocus, you know, types of dinosaurs, or things in Minecraft, or different Pokemon characters, right, because it's interest-driven, right? And 96% of children play video games. So harnessing that interest and passion can help drive education. And uh, this past December, I was speaking, I was one of the keynote speakers at uh, UNESCO M-G-I-E-P, which is the Mahatma Gandhi Institute for Education and Sustainable Programs in uh, India. And uh, they're building out a lot of game-based learning there as well. And for UNESCO M-G-I-E-P in India, I co-authored a paper, a working paper, with Dr. Karen Schreier, a colleague of mine from Marist College, on the limitations and strengths of using digital games as, quote, empathy machines, because there's been a lot of talk about virtual reality and digital games and how they can, serious games, not games that are purely for entertainment, but ones that are designed for serious purposes, to teach and inform about serious topics how they can create empathy for uh, players. And we we authored this paper, and some games are better at it than others. For example, one game we explored is called That Dragon Cancer. And it was created by um, Ryan Green and his wife, Amy Green. They actually happened to live in Loveland. Their son, Joel, um, had terminal cancer. And he created a video game about Struggling with Joel's cancer. Uh, in the game itself, there's a, um, a vignette. It's really a series of vignettes. And there's one vignette called, You know, I'm sorry, it's not good, where they learn that Joel's cancer has taken a turn for the worse. There's another part of the game where the absence of agency, okay, so agency is your ability or the illusion that you have control over the experience. So what they do in this game is they remove agency. So Joel is crying and you're at the hospital with Joel. And everything you do to try to console Joel from crying does not work. You can pick him up. You can get him a juice box. You can um, do anything to console him. And Joel does not stop crying. hold you. And it's actually the real recording of Joel. So it's it's a really heart-wrenching, very, very difficult game to play, especially if you have young children. Hit your head on the bars, Joel. Joel! Joel! I know you're mad. Please stop. Please. Stop. But again, it's, it's effective. Uh, games, because of agency, can elicit emotions from participants that non-controllable media like film and books cannot. Effective games use transportation theory which transports you to this fictional world. But because of agency, because you have choices in the game, there are other emotions such as guilt and complicity that you would not get from film or books or television. In in those other media like television, uh, you have this what's called a parasocial connection with the character. So, week to week, you're watching a TV show, or a Netflix, you're binging it all, and you project yourself onto this character. You have this parasocial relationship. But you can't control their actions. Therefore, you can't feel guilty if they do something that you may not agree with. But in a game, you can. So, games have this unique emotional palette that can be explored, that can create the sense, then, of empathy. I'm Dr. Matthew Farber, and I am an assistant professor here in the Technology, Innovation, and Pedagogy program, or the TIP program, in the School of Teacher Education. So if you're interested in learning more about this, uh, in addition to the TIP program, I'm also teaching educational technology courses for undergraduate students. And uh, the notion of play and games and project-based learning are embedded and baked into all the courses that I teach here at the TIP department and in EdTech. And of course, the other professors in this department as well, um, teach through the lens of play, game, projects, and meaningful learning. To learn more, uh, you could also look on my website, my personal website, matthewfarber.com. And that has links to my books the uh, UNESCO Working Paper, which is a free download. And I also am a writer for Edutopia, which is the George Lucas Education Foundation. And all of those articles are freely available there as well. Thank you so much.